uh, we're talking about singlehood. And if that won't inspire you to consider singlehood as a viable long-term option for your life, uh, nothing will. Reminds me a lot of uh, most church singles ministries, actually. Um, from long, as long as I can remember, um, my dad uh, considered himself to be uh, somewhat of a matchmaker. And uh, so before there was eHarmony, there was G-Harmony with Greg. And uh, it was... It was, pretty, it was pretty aggressive. And so when I was a, when I was a young boy, I remember, uh, for as long as I can remember, we would be in church, and he would be pointing out, you know, all the cute girls. Hey, what do you think about her? What do you think about her? You know, she seems really nice. What do you think about her? You know, or we'd go to, uh, we'd go to uh, school, uh, the teacher, parent-teacher conferences, and he was always pointing out, you know, it's like, hey, what do you think about her? She seems really nice, you know. Um, and so from a very early age, all the time, like, girls were, were on my radar, you know. And I had the opportunity, actually, to travel with my dad. He'd speak at uh, various conferences and camps um, and, and stuff like that. And I, I'd get to travel with him, which was a really cool thing um, as his son. But the story was always the same, you know. Like, he'd start talking about middle school dating and start making fun of it, and rightfully so. And he would start talking to the girls, and he'd be like, hey, you know, there's this really neat girl I want to introduce you with, or introduce you to. There's this really cute girl. And uh, he'd create these really awkward scenarios for me all the time. So he'd, he'd call me over and be like, hey, I've got something really special I want you to meet. And he'd call me over and he'd be like, hey, Aaron, I want to introduce you to Jackie. Jackie, this is Aaron. Aaron, this is Jackie. Uh, we've already talked and connected. Just I feel really special about this. And uh, Aaron, just want to let you know this is your future wife. You know, so, hey, you guys have fun, and we'll see you later, you know, all the time, happen all the time. So, like, constantly, uh, as a young boy growing up in the church with my parents, like, girls were on my radar. And, uh, and I have to admit, like, I've always been a romantic at heart, um, but, like, my parents and the church didn't really help. And my parents were, they, they were the worst. I love them, but they were constantly doing stuff like this. So, like, my first CD that I owned was Boys to Men 2. <laughs> Boys to Men 2. All right, so when, when my parents bought me the CD player, finally, for Christmas, with it came Boys to Men 2. So I'd be, I'm this little guy, and I'd be sitting in my room listening to Down on Bended Knee and I'll Make Love to You by myself in my room over and over and over again. That'll mess a kid up, right? That'll mess a kid up. So I was, for me, over time, what happened was was Finding the one, finding this girl became like the overarching mission of my life. You know, I was always kind of on the prowl, like looking for that girl, and I was dreaming about her. And even, I mean, in a good way, like I just felt like God had created this person for me. She was somewhere out there, and it was my primary mission to head out uh, and to find her, right? Um, And from what I could tell uh, from my parents, and especially uh, from the church as well, uh, was that, that marriage was the destination, and uh, I certainly didn't see singlehood, as we talked about it this morning, as, as an opportunity. Like, for me, it was more like purgatory. And I just believed if I stayed there long enough, and if I suffered long enough, uh, that eventually I'd get to get out and, and kind of get on with the good stuff. Um, it seemed to me, and who would blame me, right? Because it just seemed like marriage was, uh, marriage was the norm. That's what you do. You grew up, you found a spouse. You got married. And if you were an adult and you're single, as I grew older, it seemed like if you were an adult and you were single, you fell into this very bizarre category in the church that it seemed like married people didn't want you to be in. 
right? So if you're single, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you have a single friend or you are that person, you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, especially if you're out of school, you're working a job, and you're single, married people won't leave you alone, right? Like, they do one of two things. Like, either they try to hook you up with every person they know that's about your age. They're like, yeah, there's this really nice guy. You know, I think you really like him. He's real sensitive. He's funny. You know, and they'll start, start trying to hook you up. Uh, but get, or given enough time, they'll start to try to diagnose the problem, right? And they'll start talking like, all right, what, you know, what's his deal, you know? Uh, and, you know, I think she has too high a standards. I think she needs to get realistic, you know? I mean, she's getting older, you know, and, and then they'll start getting mean. If it, it's like they take personal offense sometimes, you know, if you stay single long enough and you don't really connect with any of the people they're trying to hook you up with, right? And they'll start talking about, well, you know, he's got kind of a rough past, you know, or, you know, she's got a receding hairline. Like, I don't know if you said, when the wind blows, you can see it, you know, or it's like he, he's kind of overweight, you know, he probably could venture to, to diet and exercise a little bit, or, you know, she comes off as abrasive and... And it just gets, they can just get kind of brutal. Um, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. It kind of, what it, what it ends up creating, I think, oftentimes what, what is present, I think, uh, in, in the church is oftentimes that we kind of we shuffle singles into their own category. And, and they come either directly or indirectly to understand that to be single is somehow to be, to be different, to be other, to be lesser than um, in some way. Right? And if you've, ever, if you've ever visited like a singles ministry in a church, you know it's true. It's like that. You know? It's really awkward. You walk in, it's like, it's like the gathering place for all the people in the church who are socially awkward. You know, they have no social skills. And so you walk in, it's like either that or it feels like it's like a shark tank. A bunch of hungry sharks who walk in, like fresh meat. Um, or uh, it's just bizarre. Right? It's like the regional trials for Dungeons and Dragons. It's like so bizarre. It's so weird. And you don't have to be there very long to, to start to understand that this is not a priority. You know, that this, is, that this particular ministry, this particular group of people are one of the last priorities uh, when it comes to the church. Um, you know, it's usually led by some well-meaning, hopeful volunteer because uh, no staff wants to touch that ministry, you know, with a 10-foot pole. Um, it gets the least amount of resources. Um, and it just seems like the vision for the ministry is essentially to to kind of shuffle singles off by themselves, right? Hopefully they'll either marry up or just kind of stay out of the way. And uh, I think oftentimes they, they aren't valued for being single. They're more like pitied for not being married. And what I want to talk about this morning is, is that we have not done, I want to talk about the biblical view of, of singlehood because we have not done a very good job of really looking at how God views singlehood and, and, and how important this particular group is to the life of church, to the life and the mission of the church. Like so many, I was never taught that, that singlehood is it's an opportunity. Um, I was never taught uh, that the call of God on some people's lives is to be single. And that, that is a very strategic call, that there's a very important part of the mission of the church. Right? I was never taught that they pl- can play a very vital role in the life of the church and the mission of the church and that we need them just as much as, as they need us. I was never taught that it was a season of life that I needed to lean into if I wanted to experience all that God desired for, for myself and someday if I was to be married as, as a husband and as a father. And so just to put all my cards on the table this morning, I believe that, that singles are one of the most misunderstood uh, underappreciated, underutilized groups of people in the movement of Jesus, that is the church. And, 
if we want, as a community, as Mosaic, like as this new church that's just really coming together and just starting to form, if we want to be faithful to God's mission, to be, to be a light in the darkness, and to bring hope to the hopeless, to introduce people to Jesus Christ who desperately need God to move in their life in a powerful way, in a personal way, we need to do a better job with those around us who are single than just trying to shuffle them and move them out of the way. If we want to accomplish all that God has for us as a church, we've got to understand this. And so this morning, if you have a Bible, I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7.29. And this is, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to a church that's wrestling with these issues, to a church that is struggling with, with where they fall and what they believe about, about marriage and about singlehood. And in verse 29, he says this. He says, What I mean, brothers and sisters is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who are married and have a husband or a wife should live as if they don't have a husband or a wife. Right? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? Um, this is the same Paul. right? This is the same Paul that elsewhere he talks about how husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and that they ought to lay down their lives uh, for their wife. Right? It's the same Paul that elsewhere calls husbands and wives to mutual submission to one another, to take marriage very, very seriously. And yet in this context, in this context, he's saying, do you realize that our time here is very, very short? This is the same thing that Jesus talks about elsewhere. Jesus talks about, uh, you know, the time is drawing near. The time is at hand. And Paul says the time is short. And the word that he, he uses here literally means contracted. It means it's contracted, that there is this temporary period of time that God has set forth and that we are living in it, that this, that this is coming to an end, that this life uh, is, is short, and that this season uh, in the scope of eternity is short. We're not going to be sitting here, right, in the old pavilion, worshiping as, as a part of Mosaic uh, forever. Time is short. He goes on in verse 30. He says, those who mourn should live as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Right? This world in its present form is passing away. So whatever you're into, right, you can't get too into it because this world is passing away. This, this life is short. This time is short. Uh, just yesterday, I was, uh, got to spend some time with uh, my grandma-in-law. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, <laughs> My grandma-in-law, uh, her name's Doris, and, uh, and Doris is, is a wonderful woman, and she, um, she lives pretty, pretty close to here, actually, and it played a really, a, a really like, key role um, in, my, uh, in my wife's life. And uh, when she was growing up, Doris was the one that, while her parents were, were working, um, would raise Megan and, and spend time with her during the days uh, and invest in her life. And we have actually, since we've been married, we've had the opportunity to, to live with Doris a couple different times, um, when we were in transition, and, and she has always been um, just so wonderful to us. And I remember, like, when we, when we lived with her, she would tell us these crazy stories, you know, about when she was younger. And her and her late husband, they, they owned a bar, and they, she'd tell us these crazy stories, you know, with, about the cops and fights and all these nuts things. And she'd tell us about, about you know, uh, having a warrant out for her arrest and her and her husband running from the cops in Minneapolis and hiding in this campground, and just all these crazy stories. Um, and she's always been so incredibly wonderful to us. Um, 
but Doris, about, uh, about a year ago, the doctors gave her six months to live. And, um, and over the last couple months, uh, health-wise, um, things have been going downhill pretty fast. And, um, and she, lives in a, she lives in this house that you know, her late husband built with his bare hands in the early 1900s. And she's always been very independent and uh, very stubborn, and, and, but, but wonderful. And just over the last, you know, just over the last couple months, it's been, it's been hard, you know, to watch the life of this woman really start to, to wind down. And um, whenever we're with her now, it's like, um, it's like she doesn't want us to leave. You know, she, she wants to talk about everything, and she really goes out of her way to make sure that we know that she loves us and that she appreciates us. And, um, now, yesterday I was over there because she had, she had fallen down, and um, she tripped over a chair, and, and she's at the point where she can't, she's not strong enough to get her, herself back up. And, and it just, you know, yesterday as I was leaving, it just really hit me, you know, that here's this wonderful woman. And, and I know to her, like when she's telling us these stories about her life and about what it was like even before marriage when she was single, uh, to her it, it feels like this, right? It just, like, gone. Like just yesterday she was this young, this young woman with hopes and dreams for her life. I was wondering if maybe someday she would get married and what her husband would be like and wondering if one day she would have kids and what they would be like, you know, and then she turns around and, and I know to her, I just feel like just yesterday that was the case and now watching her life wind down and, 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 and realizing that this incredible woman that we've had the opportunity to know very soon is going to stand before God and he's going to either say to her, well done, good and faithful servant, you did what I called you to do. Or he's going to say, what did you do with your life? What did you do with your life? Right? As it relates to singlehood and marriage, um, like we have to understand that, that marriage actually itself is a part of this temporary world uh, that is passing away. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear on that, that the marriage is not for eternity. Uh, Jesus talked about this, that, that after this life, when we die, uh, or when Christ comes back, whichever comes first, uh, that men and women, we're not going to be given in marriage. We're not going to be married to our spouse. I'm not going to be married to Megan. Uh, our relationship is going to change, right? And, and so it's temporary. And when I say that, I know, you know, for some of us, I'm sure it's just like, well, that's kind of sad. You know, it's kind of depressing to know that I won't be like that with this person. You know, for others of you, it's like, well, that's kind of exciting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Praise be to God, you know. Um, but it's temporary, right? It's, it's, it's temporary. It's a part of this world that's that's passing away. And so for those of us who are single, uh, it just, it doesn't, like, we can't spend the best of our time and our energy pursuing that future spouse. It's a good thing to want to be married one day. It's a good thing to want to have a family one day. That's a gift, right? That's an that's a, a honoring thing. But it can't be the main thing because it's temporary. For those, who are mar- those of us who are married, like, our marriages can't be the main thing. It can't be the most important thing or we're living for the temporary and Paul is saying, look, this time is short. It is passing away. It is giving way to something eternal. So live for it and not the temporary. In verse 32, Paul continues. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Uh, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided 
devotion to the Lord. It's Paul saying, look, I've seen married couples. Like, I've seen what happens so often is they get so into each other. And, you know, wives start worrying about, like, how do I please my husband? Uh, how do I make him happy? How do I make this marriage work? How do I cultivate a healthy family? And husbands, too, how do I please my wife? How do I kindle the romance? Right? How do I lead my family spiritually? How do I provide for my family? Good things. But what ends up happening oftentimes is that their interests are divided. Right? God no longer becomes the main thing. Their time is split. And so contrary, contrary to what we see communicated oftentimes directly, indirectly, through churches, through, through broader culture, Paul said, is saying very, spiritual, or very positive things, excuse me, very positive things about what it means uh, to be single. Right? If we zoom out a little bit and we look at what Paul says actually just a few verses earlier in verse 7, he says this. He says, as we look at our relational status, right, as we look at our life, whether we're single or whether we're married, that we ought to respond to God in accordance with our gift, with our gift. He says, one has this gift and another has that gift, right? One is married and another is single, and that both are gifts uh, from God. And so being single, is not, it's not a curse. It's not, it's not a disease. There's nothing wrong with you. It's an opportunity. It's, it's a gift from God. It's a season through which God wants to move in your life in a very specific way, in a very, a very unique way, unique to you. Right? Perhaps, perhaps we've forgotten the small detail as we, as we look at the, the story of human history and the, and the movement of Jesus that, that most of the heroes, or many of the heroes of the Christian faith that left the biggest impact on this world and on human history were single. Right? The Apostle Paul himself uh, was a single guy. He was a very eligible bachelor. Right? I mean, if ABC had the bachelor Damascus, right, it would have been Paul. Right? He was a stud. He was, he was accomplished in his career. Um, he could provide for himself. He was like a man among boys uh, in his career. Um, when we read about just the things that he accomplished in his life, like his resume is just unreal. I mean, he personally led hundreds of people to Jesus Christ. On his own. Thousands more, right, come to know Jesus Christ as a result of his, of his ministry. He, uh, um, he, we see in his life over and over and over again that he's almost killed, right? Like Paul is almost killed time and time again because he's so relentless in just sharing with people about Jesus, right? He would, he would travel the world and he would just, he'd be in the marketplace and be like, man, you've got to know about Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he's done. Like, it's relevant to your life. You need to trust your life to Christ, you know? You're living for something else, and it's not him, and he wants to do something incredible. And he would do this, and then the powers that be would be like, dude, you can't do that. We're going to throw you in jail. He'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't stop. He'd continue, and he'd get thrown into jail, right? And then he'd be in jail, and he'd start leading people to Christ that were in prison with him, you know? And then they put him in solitary confinement, and he'd start leading the guards to Christ, right? And then they put him in court, and then he'd start sharing with the judge and the people present about Jesus Christ. They'd beat him with an inch of his life over and over and over again. They just couldn't get him to stop. And so through his life, like Paul, that would be very hard for a married man to do, right? And we see through his life this happening over and over and over again. And when you read about the exploits of his life in 2 Corinthians 11, it's very hard to imagine that any married man would have been able to do the things that Paul was able to do, right? He traveled extensively. He was always raising up, raising up normal guys to go out do, and do extraordinary things. He was developing pastors and leaders. He's traveling around planting churches. And Paul was free to serve God in just uninterrupted time, like for days and weeks at a time. Right? He would travel, and he wouldn't have any money with him. And he would just trust it to God and be like, you know what? I'll just trust that God's going to provide. He'd start traveling, uh, didn't get paid for his work, um, just did it on a volunteer basis, and God would start to provide. 
right? He'd do all types of stuff uh, that at a mar- as a married man would be very, very difficult to do. And Paul, Paul said, look, I, you know, I know I'm crazy. Like, if I'm out of my mind, it's, I'm out of my mind for Christ. Right? If he was married, his wife would have been like, honey, you're crazy. Right? It, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. Paul took advantage of the gift of singlehood, and through him, God did this extraordinary work. Right? And let's not forget that Jesus was single too. Right? Small detail. And Jesus taught on the issue of, of singlehood as well. Uh, Matthew 19, 12, uh, Jesus is talking about those who are not married. He said there are some that are, that are not married by choice. Um, there, there are some that are not married by no fault of theirs. Uh, they're just not married. And then there's those, he says, there are those who choose to live like eunuchs, those who choose to be single for the sake of the kingdom of, of God, for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of what God is doing. And then he goes on and he, he throws down this gauntlet. He says there are those that choose to advance the kingdom of heaven right, by being single and serving God in undivided devotion to the Lord. And he says the one who can accept this should accept it. So Jesus, like Paul, right, says that, that not everybody will be able to handle this extraordinary call. It's a very difficult call. It's a very unique call. But there are some people whom God calls to be single with their life so that they can serve God in a way that a married man uh, never could. And he affirms, like Paul does, that, that marriage is a beautiful thing, that it too is, is a gift from God, um, that our, our call in marriage as husbands and wives, um, as fathers, as mothers, is no less missional, it's no less sacrificial, it's no less holistic, right? But it is definitely more complicated. And that serving God missionally looks very different for somebody who is married than it does for someone who's single. When I was, uh, when I was a teenager, um, God changed my life forever. And uh, before I met Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I was, uh, I was a mess. I was a very angry person. And, um, and I, like, one of the things for me, I, I just destroyed things all the time. I, was, I just vandalized things. Like, I, I destroyed cars and lit buildings on fire. And, I mean, really, like, legit, like, just angry. I hated life. I hated who I was. Um, I was very angry. I was a bully. I beat up on underclassmen all the time. I was just angry, just angry. And when I was 16 years old, Jesus Christ met me in a very, a very personal way. And I finally just threw up my hands and said, God, I, I don't like myself. I don't like this life. Um, but I think you're real. And what I'm doing is not working. I need you to do something. And, uh, and so I just kind of threw up my hands and I committed my life to Jesus Christ. And when I did that, for me, everything changed. It didn't happen overnight, but everything changed. My anger, my bitterness, things started going away. And I wanted to be a part of what God was doing in the lives of others. Like, I wanted other people to experience now this, this, new, this hope, this peace, this passion, this purpose that I found. And so I began serving God, right, um, in whatever way I could. Um, for, I know we have a lot of campus life connections in this room. Um, for me, one of the thing, big things for me is I, even in high school, I started serving, you know, at, um, in middle school ministry, and I started doing that with church. Um, and I just started serving everywhere that I could. And so I, I literally, um, as I started investing in the lives of middle school students, like I would skip high school to go to the middle school to invest in the lives of kids because uh, it just became this thing that was so important to me. And uh, on a side note, my first uh, semester of my senior year, I missed 50 days of school, <laughs> a lot of school, uh, 26 days the second semester. And uh, the funny thing is, is I wasn't out causing trouble. I was, I was out investing in the lives of these kids. 
and, and more and more opportunities because I was single. I had the freedom to do this in a way that, that I, I can't do as a married man. I, I just started, started serving. And so, you know, I started uh, just leading worship for, for groups and uh, a lot of, like, FCA groups in, in Nebraska and started just sharing what God had done in my life. And uh, I had the opportunity to go to, to Brazil, right, and, and then uh, to Mexico on missions trips. And then uh, I was in the Dominican Republic and spent a summer there um, serving. And when we were there, it was so cool because I was there for a couple months. I got to live with this, this local family and uh, in a very, very poor area. And, uh, you know, we didn't have electricity half the time. And um, it was just kind of this crazy thing. I slept in a bed, a, a twin bed with another man for two months. Uh, that was interesting. Came out the other end straight, which is good. Um, but we, uh, like, it was just this very, like, cramped quarters, like this whole family really was kind of in this concrete room together, and, and it, me and a good friend got to do this together, and we would literally, we'd hike three, three miles every day to this camp um, where we kind of did most of our ministry through, and uh, we'd, we'd lead various groups like around the island, help them get around, and we'd coordinate um, and lead their missions uh, or their work projects. Um, and we'd speak and lead worship and lead small groups and just and we'd help people like fix their homes, which more that like their sheds, you know, that they lived in and um, just any way that we could serve God. And we would work 18 plus hours a day for for weeks, for two weeks at a time, um, and sleep for four hours. And then we'd go back and, and do it again the next day. And you know, looking back, like, I was free to do that as a single person. When I was stateside, it was similar. As a single person, I had the freedom, like. When I felt moved by God to go do something, I could just, I could go do it. Um, I would, like, you know, for me, like, I'm not very good with time management. I'm not very organized. Um, so there were times when, you know, I just felt moved by God to, to really pursue him and, and to serve people in a way. And uh, there'd be things going on in the lives of my friends up in Minnesota, which is where I'm from, uh, you know, and I could just drive and go invest in their lives. And, uh, if, you know, if I felt God just, like, moving in my spirit, I'd pursue him times and, and read and study sometimes, like, all night. And then I could, you know, I just work tired the next day and crash the next evening. And as a single person, as a single person, I could do that. But the reality is, is now as a married man, I can't do that anymore. It changes. It changes once you're married. Right? Because of my responsibilities as, as a husband and, and as a father, like, I have to learn how to manage my time well. I have to discipline myself uh, in the way that I, I serve God. And it, it, it changes, right? Because I can't afford to go home and be exhausted and not have anything for my wife, and not have anything for my kids. Right? As a married man, as a husband, as a dad, they're my most important ministry. If I don't pastor my family well, like I have no business pastoring this church. If I fail at home, I'm automatically disqualified to lead here. Like that's, that's the reality. I, want, I, 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 can't, I don't want to just be a good dad. Like I want to be a great dad. I want, I want my girls to know for the rest of their life. Right, that, that no matter what happens to them, no matter how hard they fail, no matter how hard they fall, that the one thing that they can count on is that their dad loves them more than anything in the world and would do anything for them. You know, like I want my wife to know for the rest of her life, like in my eyes, that she's that she's the most beautiful person on the face of the earth. That my my eyes, my desire, my time belong to her. Like I I can't afford to give my wife and my kids leftovers, right? Because we've talked about this. Jesus is my number one. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that we're called to as Christian husbands and fathers and wives and mothers. Jesus is my number one. My relationship with Megan is my number two. My relationships with my kids, with, with Paige and with Chloe, that's my number three. And I have to get those three right before I can get to work. And that is number four. 
Right? There are so many things. And what that means for me is that there are a lot of really good things um, that I have to say no to. Right? That's the reality of being married. There are a lot of things I would just love to do. I would love to invest my time in. I would love to travel. I would love to write. There's a lot of ministry things that I would absolutely love to do. But as a married man, I have to say no a lot. Right? I have to say no because Jesus is the one. My wife is the two. My spouse is, uh, my kids are the three. And my job is the four. So all those things that I would love to do are at best fifth on my list. Right? And that's the reality of being a Christian spouse and a Christian parent. Our call, again, is not any less missional. It's just more complicated. It's more difficult. And as a single person, if you're sitting here and you're a single person, for you, that doesn't apply. That's completely different, right? Jesus still needs to be your number one, but you don't have that number two and number three. Like, you are free to serve God in, in a very unique way. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, singlehood is a gift, it is a gift. It is something that God uses in a very extraordinary, extraordinary way, a very unique way that I can't use married people in this way. Singlehood is a gift. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. You know, for us as a church, the reason that we started this thing is because our heart breaks for this city. And we kept coming across people that are in their, their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, marriages that are falling apart, people that are in crisis, and a lot of people who aren't, who have just tried everything and got to the end of their rope and... It's like, really, this is it? And, and they're everywhere. And we looked at them and we're like, we have to do something about that. And so that's why we started this church. We're, we're not a church really for, for church people. We're a church people, or we're a church for people who are asking questions, who maybe believe in God but have disconnected from church or never gone to church. That's why we exist. And if we're going to be faithful to be a church that really is, is a light in the darkness, that brings hope to the hopeless, that brings purpose to those who are, who are lost and who are wandering, then we need to do a better job than most churches do at empowering singles and helping to lead them and guide them. We need a better job of raising our kids and not just trying to, to help them find their spouse as quickly as possible, but help them to lean into singlehood and to make the most of that season of life. If you're, if you're here in this room and you're single, if you're listening to this podcast and you're single, Lean into it. Don't waste it. You don't get this season back. God willing, you don't get this season back. Take advantage of it. You learn how to be faithful as a single person so that you can bring that into marriage because it becomes a lot more difficult after marriage. Right? Learn, how to, learn how to serve God and, and honor him with your finances. Right? Learn how to, how to tithe and give and honor God with your finances as a single person because as a married person, it gets harder. Right? You don't have more money. You have less money. Right? So it's time to like build in that pattern of how do I honor God with everything that I am. Now, like learn how to do that as a single person. Learn how to take risks. Learn how to hear God's voice and take risks. Now, I'm not talking about ir- being irresponsible, but there are times that God calls us to do things that do not make sense on paper. Learn how to do that. Make it a habit of your life. Take ridiculous risks that don't make sense in order to serve other people because that will, it, that will impact your marriage. If you build that in your life now, it will be much easier when you're married. Because when you're married, it's not just one of you. It's two of you. Right? And if you have this, if your lifestyle as a single person was a very selfish lifestyle, right? you never really responded to God, and you never really stepped outside of your comfort zone for the good of other people other than yourself, you never really gave financially, and that your wife or your husband falls in love with that person, now... You try to correct that further down the road, and it's a tough conversation. It's a complete change of direction. Don't waste your singlehood. Right? Use it to become a man 
who is worthy of respect, who can lead your family well. Right? Use it to become a woman who is honorable and desirable. Right? Learn how to, to get over yourself and to serve the needs of other people. Right? Marriage is pretty good about that. You learn how selfish you are very, very fast. But if you learn how to be selfless as a single person, you'll be way ahead of the game and your marriage will be better for it. Paul's saying the time is short. Right? This earth is passing away. God has called us to something that is far more eternal than just marriage. Marriage is, marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's not the end-all, be-all. It's a means to help us accomplish what God has called us to. And if you're single, you have a very, very important part to play in what God is doing here and now, in this church and in this city. So don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I pray. I pray for the people in this room, for myself. God, I pray for those who are struggling with being single. There are definitely unique challenges to being single. For those who are struggling with with loneliness, for those perhaps who have up until this time just not felt like they could play an important role in, in what you're doing in your church and in this city. Father God, I ask that you would meet Meet them where they're at. That, God, you inspire them with a new hope for who they are, who you've created them to be, and what you've called them to do, and what you desire to do in and through their life. God, I pray for those, of a, those who are struggling with just feeling alone, those who are struggling with not having found that significant other. And, Father God, I ask that you would help them to find all of their purpose, all of their identity and contentment in who you have created them to be as a single person. Father God, I ask that for all of us in this room, married or no, that you would reveal to us, God, continually who you've created us to be and all the needs that exist around us that we can begin to step into those needs. Father God, give us eyes to see the people around us as you see them. Give us the courage to step into meeting those needs as best we can. Help us to be characterized by love and by radical faith. God, I pray for those who are already married and who are at a point where they want to follow you with more faith, that they want to to consider, God, that maybe you are asking them to take a new risk that they've never taken before, to obey you in an area of their life that they've never obeyed you before. And, Father God, I ask for your blessing on those marriages, and I ask for courage to make the necessary changes to put you at number one. And then, Father God, just in, in expectation, I pray for what you're going to do in those marriages. Knowing that, God, you are not finished. You are not finished with us, and you are not finished with those of us who are married, that you're just getting started. Father God, help us to, to love on those who are, who are single, who are part of this church. Help us to, to counsel them in a way that honors you, to put you at number one, to run after you as hard as they can. And God, we trust you with the details that if they're meant to be married, that that'll come. But in the meantime, there's work to be done. There's a God to serve, and there are extraordinary things that you are waiting to do through ordinary people who are willing to be faithful. God, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.